So the last few weeks, we've been looking at a teaching from Buddhism that uh, has a lot of meaning for me. It's one that I come back to a lot, use regularly. The, the three jewels or the three refuges. Uh, the three are the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. We've talked about Sangha, which is beloved community. Uh, we will get to how, and what I can share is how I relate to taking refuge in the Buddha. And we'll be really interested when we get to that one, how other people hear that and find it useful um, in whatever way that is for you. But at the moment, we've been, um, for the last few weeks, or a couple of weeks, on taking refuge in the Dharma. For me, this is, well, they're all root ones. I mean, would I say one's more of a root or another? But this is probably the one I, I most innately come back to. Dharma, I've said this before, I'll say it again, is this really interesting word that can be kind of hard to get your head, well, it was hard for me to get my head wrapped around, and I'm sure there's still layers and layers and layers that I don't really understand, but I have a working understanding of this word at last. Uh, when I first learned the word, I learned it as a very simple translation of the teachings of the Buddha. Uh, what I now understand is the word can be used for that because the teachings of the Buddha point to the way things are. And what the word really is pointing to is there is an understandable, underlying, visible, seeable wholeness to everything when we look close enough. Um, sometimes I've heard, uh, more recently, I hear a lot of people using the word lawfulness, but there's a lot more than that. It's, and, and a metaphor I've shared a couple of times, I'll share again, uh, that I really like is uh, a mountain, high mountain spring, water coming out, out of the spring at the top of the mountain. And there's a way that water always, always, finds the most efficient way down the mountain. And somehow that in this term, Dharma, is never mechanical. That's not nearly getting at the essence of it. Um, it's a, le a, a living way in which that is inevitable, that water comes down. But when you're talking about living systems, uh, and particularly human systems, uh, what for me is endlessly fascinating, that equivalent of the water of our being that has a path of the most efficient flow, it's ethical. And we can feel that. We know when we are in, in an alignment that is wholesome with ourself, or with someone else, or in relationship with the world. We feel it. There is a way that is our path of most natural flow. And that that's wired into our being. Like, like I mean, for me, that, that contemplation 
that there is a physical knowing of wholeness that is ethical. That to me is like stunningly mysterious and worth a lot of contemplation in terms of, so what is the universe? How do you understand a universe where, um, you know, these sub-micro particles um, have come together in, in a sort of ethical wholeness that we can feel. Kind of amazing. So refuge in the Dharma for me is always that stepping back into a larger, and sometimes it has to be really large, view of things where I can understand that it is what it is, exactly the way it is, that becomes empowering, it becomes energizing, um, that gives me the, the energy and the oomph for navigating what can be really, really significant challenges of life. So um, I want to look at this taking refuge in the Dharma um, through a very different lens this week of unwinding anxiety and Judson Brewer's habit cessation teachings is our topic for today. And to me, that's what's so fascinating about taking refuge in the Dharma, is there are endless ways of looking at it that point to this wholeness. Um, there are very spiritual teachings on it. There are very neuroscience teachings. This is behavioral medicine teachings. And they all point in the same direction that we can actually feel what is our path of wholeness. It's built into us. The work is getting quiet enough to hear that wisdom that's already here and always here, as opposed to the onslaught message of the culture and the society in a different way. So this is a very tiny view of some of what Judson Brewer teaches um, around habit change. And I highly recommend Clara's class. Uh, if we're, um, if she's, when, when, whatever way Clara has available to offer it, <laughs> we're here. And hopefully sometimes she'll come and do a community drop-in around this. So. So this is my um, um, tiny taste of this. The part that I'm going to bring out is around uh, the metaphor of the three gears. So Judson Brewer, uh, if you don't know who he is, um, my background, my, my deepest first introduction, not first, but I, um, where, where I took the deep dive into mindfulness turned out to be in secular mindfulness through mindfulness-based stress reduction. Uh, and John Kabat-Zinn up at University of Massachusetts Medical Center. So when he retired, it was taken over by Saki Santorelli. And when he retired, it was taken over by Judson Brewer. 
So you just kind of know the lineage of this teaching of um, secular mindfulness. Um, Judson Brewer's background, uh, it's a little embarrassing to say all this in front of Clara because she's going to go, no, Lindsay, you don't have it quite right. So these are all my best the way I understand it and she can correct later. Um, uh, his background is as an addiction behavioral researcher, uh, MD. Um, uh, and he did a lot of work on smoking cessation first. So before he kind of came up with this different approach to smoking cessation, the gold standard was um, uh, you teach all of this about, you know, how bad smoking is for you. You got to stop. You got to quit. We're going to do it together. We'll all make it happen. We're going to willpower our way through it. Um, set your cold turkey date and we'll have your nicotine patch ready. Uh, and that was, was the gold standard of the best. And, and it didn't work really well. <laughs> it did not. Um, so he kind of flipped that model all on its head and changed things around from his background as a mindfulness practitioner and looked at what that could bring to smoking cessation instead. Um, no absolute quit date, no cold turkey, no nicotine patch, unless you wanted one, you know, I mean, it's useful if you want one. Um, uh, instead, what he taught people in his smoking cessation um, groups was to understand habits, understand trigger, behavior, reward, um, habit loops, and then examine your own habit roots what happens in your habit loops, what happens in your habit loop for you, and then see what happens. Did you notice there's no word in there about quit your cigarettes? It's not, it's not named in it. It was examine what happens when you smoke cigarettes. And I might not have the numbers right, but I think his, his model in his research was 50% better than the gold standard which if you don't know epidemiology, I mean, that's like a huge mass. Nothing happens at that level that much better. Um, so a really, really radical change. So um, he, he describes this habit loop in terms of first gear, second gear, third gear. If you're of my generation, you probably know how to drive a manual car. Uh, and you, you know, you have to start in first gear. Um, there's not enough power um, to drive any more. You have to start in first gear and you have to build up in first gear in the car until you feel like you, there's enough energy, there's enough momentum in the car that you can successfully shift to second gear, which has more speed but less power. So second gear gets you, you can build up that, that momentum even more. And the momentum is what then allows you to get into third gear where you can drive fast. First gear, you can't drive fast, but you got a lot of power. Third gear, you don't have the same kind of power, but you've got speed and momentum and flow. From that first, second, third gear, the habit loops. First gear in this model where you gotta start. 
There is no way to, you can't, if you ever drove one of those manual carts, you can't start in third gear. It doesn't happen. You just stall out the car and you sit there. Uh, but isn't this the way we think? We think, oh, I don't like that I do this habit. I'm going to use the, the example of chocolate cake. I don't like that I eat chocolate cake. I just got to quit. So, you know, we want to go from, I want to, I don't want to eat it. So I got to jump to third gear and be quit. Well, if you've driven one of those cars, you know, starting in third gear doesn't work. You stall out and it doesn't happen and you still eat a lot of cake. Um, so first gear is I am actually willing to acknowledge I'm caught in a habit loop. The habit loop is trigger, behavior, uh, reward. And I'm starting to like, like see those, those pieces. Maybe the trigger is that the restaurant I like, they now have vegan chocolate cake. And if it's vegan, it must be healthy, right? Y'all know that's a total myth. Oreos are vegan. Um, like, like there is not, just being vegan does not mean health in any way, shape, or form. But maybe if I'm thinking that way, the trigger is it's vegan. Oh, and so I haven't had a piece of chocolate cake that looks that rich, that amazing in a long time, and it's vegan, and I'm going to get it. So the, the trigger leads to the behavior. I get it. I eat it. The reward, we might think it is that first bite of Mmm, doesn't that taste good? And that is a reward. But the overall, the whole reward is like by the time and probably even long before I put down the fork for the last bite, I am feeling ill and sick. Um, if I don't pay attention to the fact that the reward is the whole effect, not just that first bite, then I stay stuck. Ooh, chocolate cake tastes really good, and now it's vegan, and so I can eat as much as I want. And I do it again and again and again. If So first gear is I'm willing to admit, oh, there's more to the story. And I can see all three gears. I mean, all three um, parts of the habit loop. That's when I'm able to finally shift into second gear. Second gear is not I'm going to quit. Second gear is um, the gear of disenchantment, <laughs> is the gear where I am eating that cake and I am paying attention to, yeah, my taste buds are like loving this and my stomach, even with the first bite, is in rebellion. And I'm like really paying attention to, wow, this tastes good and my body is like screaming at me. Don't like don't feed me this, this, this really isn't, isn't going to make my day better. And so the disenchantment stage is I, I'm willing to like pay attention to eating this bite by bite by bite with the goal of learning as much as I can throughout the whole rest of the day until I've had the Tums and the, you know, whatever else it is that, that finally helps me to get to that recovery. In MBSR, we have the mindful eating practice. And after week one, everyone goes home and they do a practice. People usually do the practice. They pick whatever meal they want. They usually do it with something like, um, 
oh, I made this farmer's market great meal. I, you know, I thanked the farmers for the food and, and, and just went into just taste pleasure and all this. Uh, I had one class a week to ask what you do for the mindful meal. Uh, one guy uh, raised his hand and said, I ate a McDonald's hamburger. And he was a guy who was struggling with heart disease and all of that kind of like it had, had real, real consequences for him, his dietary choices. And he said, I picked it really intentionally. And I know an awful lot about McDonald's hamburgers. So I ate it bite by bite by bite with full knowledge of everything I know that's in a McDonald's hamburger. 100,000 cows. I don't know if you know that from all over the world. That's how they get a hamburger to taste the same in Charlotte, North Carolina as in Tokyo. Um, um, 100,000 each hamburger. <laughs> um, and I let myself feel what I felt, what I knew I was doing to my health, what it actually felt like in my stomach. Uh, you know, the whole nine yards. And he said, I've never been so grossed out by some meal um, as that McDonald's hamburger. And then we get to class eight when everyone names one of the most important pieces of their learning for them over the, the eight weeks. Um, for him, McDonald's hamburger. Have not eaten one since and don't know if I ever will again. That's, that's gear too. And like for him, the way he did that hamburger that took him into gear three and he was done. <laughs> you know, he was just done. But we have to explore gear two long enough to really feel the yuckiness of what we're doing with our habit, to get the energy to switch into gear three. If we try what a lot of people, they'll get even Judson Brewer's teaching. Oh, I need to see trigger habit, uh, trigger behavior, reward. Oh, I got it. And the reward is it's bad. And so I should just be able to quit now. <laughs> so they still try to quit. I would try to skip gear two. We don't want to hang out in gear two. We just want to be done. And he says, you know, you've tried to switch gears too fast. When you get to gear three, you've quit. And you still want to do that same old thing again. You know, it just means you went too fast and you've got to shift back um, into gear two and spend more time understanding, untangling the impact. This is taking refuge in the Dharma. The information is already here. And if we listen to it, it will guide us into what is the wholesome path. If you pay attention to gear one, gear two, gear three, deep enough, it is inevitable that you will get to gear three if you bring the right level of mindful attention. He says we often don't notice the negative reward because the, the um, overload of stimulation for the short reward is so culturally ingrained, habit ingrained, that we just ride over the fact that three hours later I feel ill and I don't really think about why. We just shortchange that. But if we really like pay attention to what happens in our bodies with habits that aren't serving us, 
the body will tell us. It knows. It's like water coming down a mountain. It knows what is the most efficient path and what is a blocked up path that's going nowhere. Can we get quiet enough to hear that? The last thing I want to say that he says that I really like is we want it to be neat and clean. We want to think I start in first gear, I shift to second gear, then I get to third gear, I'm flying and I never have to go back. Here's a bunch of phooey. <laughs> Um, and a lot of addiction um, um, counseling is understanding that um, a whole lot clearer. That used to be like you had to have your sober day and never, ever, ever go back or you were lost. Um, I think that's like pretty much washed out the window now. Um, the way we grow and change is not linear. There are ups and downs, valleys and hills. And he says, you know, some days you are in a first gear day. It may be you were flying along in third gear, you had momentum, you had speed, and then you woke up on the wrong side of the bed the next day, and oh my gosh, you're all the way back down in first gear. And that's fine. Sometimes there are hills on the road, you know, and you got to know how to shift. You just don't stop the mindfulness, but you shift to where you can drive with care and wisdom. And so it's not a, ever about a perfection. It's about knowing what gear makes sense for where I am right now and being with that. So um, he says uh, on this, this, some days have really big hills, our first, first gear days. Don't force things. See if you're struggling. Find which gear works for this moment now. And then no matter what gear you are in, you will learn to enjoy the ride on any day. Um, so let's just pause for a moment. And take a moment to feel into what is your relationship when you have some habit that's bugging you. What kind of relationship do you have with it? Is it the autopilot when the, you're in reverse and no one's flying the plane and you're not really even watching it? Or is it just getting stuck and mired in self-judgment? Just another kind of autopilot. No one's flying the plane. It's a habit of self-judgment, criticalness. And where do you know something about the feeling of finally, finally shifting into first gear? Where you can look at it. It is what it is says love. Here's where I am right now. Second gear. And I'm willing to spend some time with love to know what it is.
And where in your life have you felt that path where the obstacles are down? And there is a flow, a movement to know is whole. And it too is what it is, which is love. All of it. Even the autopilot. It is what it is, says love. How does that help you come home again? Thank you. <laughs>